The whole meaning of the American life is is around consumption. And that that is because that is feeding the capitalist system, which is feeding people, you know, mostly, you know, white people power, a few, a small, very small percentage of powerful white people to just get richer. And we're extracting all the resources of the planet to do that. And we're kind of in this cycle. And I think like with indigenous belief, indigenous life ways, we, we didn't do that and we didn't live like that. And I think it's, it, it's sort of a fantasy to think we're going to get back there, but I do think that we can do things within our life and live in a way in integrity and balance. balance, 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 On this episode of Burn the Wagon, I speak to Tashina Parker about top-notch classes she holds in Sonoma County, what does decolonize mean to her, and the importance of controlled burning to California tribes. Hello everyone, welcome to Burn the Wagon. We're here to burn the wagon that is capitalism, patriarchy, and colonialism. Today, my guest is Tashina, and your last name Parker, right? Yep. Parker, cool. So we're going to get into it. I'm just going to do a little quick prayer real quick before we get started, and then we'll get started on the questions. Uh, so I want to send some love out there for anyone that is suffering from mental health issues. I want to send love to anyone that is suffering from domestic violence. I want to send love to anyone that has been m- missing or has been murdered. I want to send love to yourselves for being here today. I also want to send love to Mother Earth for allowing us to do this, all of us here today. So today, Tashina Parker. So thank you for joining me today. So we'll just start off with a little intro about yourself and where you're from, and then we'll go from there. Huyako, kanen oyahinti, Tashina tutuyambake. Enema mariposa awani. Kani miwa awani kashai kukari kari. Yahui, 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 kemaras. Hello, my name is Tashina Parker, um, Tashina Tatuyam Parker. Um, my, uh, my name is Eagle Woman by Bubbling Waters. It's a Lakota name. In my self-introduction, I, I actually speak in three languages. Southern Sierra Miwok from Yosemite. And um, a, a few words of Kashaya Pomo and a few words of uh, Paiute. And those are my three tribal groups um, from Yosemite, Mariposa area, born there and raised there. And then um, from my grandfather's side, I'm Miwokan Paiute. And from my grandmother's side, I'm Kashaya Pomo from Santa Rosa area. And yeah, I'm really happy to be here with you. I would say I understood one word in there, that mari- mariposa. I was like, yeah, butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Spanish. I speak Spanish too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I understood that. You know what I mean? And obviously, yahui, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I try to I try to implement that as much as possible. Um, and I just learned yahui, yake apede is thank you, creator, oh, or something okay. like that, right? All right. I think in that song that we were talking about, I think uh, Clarence, Clarence says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just learned that from Bernadette, so I like... And I got it written down in here too, so I'm like, I'm trying yeah. to say that as much as possible, and then try to implement that into the podcast too. Love that, love it, yeah. Okay, let's start off with the first question. So um, recently, you've been doing a lot of top knots, and uh, I kind of want to get into that. And who wears that? And traditionally, 
the significance of those things and stuff like that. So um, yeah, the top knots and yeah. uh, your story behind that. Yeah. So the top knot making is uh, traditional California regalia from um, tribal groups, coastal areas. So from my Pomo side, that's my grandmother's side. And um, <clears throat> the top knots, um, I'm still learning from my teacher who is Sean Joaquin Patty and he's Hoplin Pomo. And I had... Um, I have a background in, in fashion and textile design, so I went to school for fashion and textile design, but I always really wanted to work with, with regalia specifically, and there's a big, you know, sort of greenwashing of sustainability in fashion that says, like, you know, all of these clothes that we make in factories are, they, they can be sustainable, but the real truth is, is that on an industrial scale, nothing can be sustainable. Yeah. So to me, like the representation of traditional California regalia was always what the core of, of regenerative and sustainable, um, or sustainable clothing was because it comes directly from the earth and it will return to the earth. And the sacredness of our regalia comes from our, our interaction and our knowledge of living with our animal cousins and how to use those animals or to, when they give their life to us for food and for um, clothing and for um, adornments for us. And so um, I um, had asked, I had reached out to Sean Patty about um, learning top knots. And he, he was kind of funny. At first he said yes, you know, and then like, then he ghosted me because he because <laughs> <laughs> this is all on like, you know, Facebook Messenger, yeah. right? And so we're all trying to vet each other. It's like, well, who are you? You're like, what do you want from yeah. me? And, um, but I had, I'd previously already learned how to, to tan hides. Uh -huh. And so I like, I sent him some photos of me tanning hides. And so it's like, oh yeah, this girl's legit. Like she's serious, right? And then he finally messaged me back and he's like, yeah, you know, why don't you come up and, and visit and I'll, uh, I'll show you about the feathers. And I had been collecting feathers for, for a little bit. And from my fashion and craft background, I, um, have been trained as a weaver, been trained as a textile designer to, um, and, and knit. And so I really was using those skills to transfer into making of regalia. And my goal with the top knots is, um, that all of the feathers come from wild birds. So in the top knots that I'm making right now and that, um, they're, well, they're from a variety of birds. I have a top knot from a barn owl and also red tail hawk and, um, wild turkeys are really prevalent in California and they're not native to California and there's not a big hunt, hunting culture in California anymore, but you see, um, you see wild turkey feathers in a lot of California regalia because they're really prolific uh -huh. to, in the environment and people, you know, use them for their capes, for their top knots, for um, all kinds of feather work. So, yeah, I, I'm still learning about the significance of, like, what each bird means yeah. and why we use certain birds. And obviously the flicker feather is, like, really sacred to California uh -huh. Native people. Um, those are, yeah. With the chishkale, too. Yeah, with the chishkale, yeah. nice. And those, those are more rare to come by. Um, but part of the process of top knot making is also... Um, learning how to gather and learning how to hunt if you hunt. And I'm, I'm not a hunter, but I collaborate with other people who hunt. I've actually been collaborating with um, people who are the founders of Hunters of Color. And they're actually, the one of the founders is from Sonoma County. And so I'm starting to like make connections with people who are ethically, ethically hunting in California. Mm -hmm. Some of them are native people, some of them are not native people and sourcing feathers in that way. And then the top knots, what I learned from Sean 
is that um, he really studied the technique of the making in a way that I was like, this is it. You know, because when we see something in um, either an archive of a photo or in a museum, um, as a maker, you're like, oh, how did they do that? Right. How did our ancestors do that? And there's lots of ways that people will try to come up with that, you know, like sewing techniques or like creating a, a dream catcher and like, you know, putting the feather. And then, but you have to think about like, well, we didn't have scissors. We didn't have metal needles, you know, like, yeah. so people made techniques that um, with the tools that they had and the materials that they had. And the technique that he came up with is like 100% the way because it's a rhythmic knot tying that makes complete sense as far like you don't need tools to, uh -huh. to do it. And it's um, it's really methodical. And um, the construction of the top knot is is like flawless. Uh -huh. So that was a lot of what he showed me in the process. And then I've been learning about more about how to source collecting yeah. and then since I've been doing the top knots, a lot of people have been contacting me. Um, oh, yeah, I found this roadkill. Like, by that day, I was actually doing a top knot a workshop. Uh -huh. And I was heading up to Point Reyes where I had a, the workshop. And my cousin, who is, uh, she's enrolled in Kashaya. And she also is a tribal monitor. So she's out on the road, you know, doing her stuff. And she's like, oh, I just drove by a turkey. Like, he looks pretty good. Do you want me to get him? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah, get him. And then, so, you know, she picked him up and put him in her trunk. And I met her at Trader Joe's in Petaluma. And, like, you know, I'm, like, taking this dead bird in my car. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I do now. You know, just take, up, take roadkill, you know? At TJ's, just with some yeah. turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody turkey. But actually, he was in pretty good condition, you know? And... When I took him to the ceremony, um, um, Sean and Julina, um, who I also work with, Julina Costa, um, she they sang him a song in the and we did a little ceremony wow. before we plucked his feathers. And so, yeah, that you know, for me, the the top knot is like, in it's all a process of learning with community, um, learning about the animals, learning how to source the animals, and then also um, learning. There's a there's learning of ceremony and language that I also feel called for, um, partly because in the sacredness of the animal, I feel a need to like give a prayer in my traditional languages or a song, excuse me, and I don't I don't have one. So to me, that's that's telling me like I have to learn. Mm -hmm. I have to learn one, you know, so I can honor the animal that's giving its life for the regalia for the top knot. Absolutely. Growing up, I always thought that owls are like bad luck yeah and i asked i asked sean this a while back and he gave me a, a really good answer but i also just want to ask you too just yeah. just to get it on the on the video yeah. but yeah i always thought that they were bad luck is that true or well so a lot of a lot of california tribes um believe that there are there are some tribes in california that do use owl and um Sean knows that within his tribal group of uh, Hopland, Ben, and Pomo, that you know there there were there's actual documentation of, of ancestors of his using owl. Oh, okay. So um, <clears throat> I think that that that's debatable, and for me, I don't have a I don't have a story like that, like a strong story of like oh I know that my yeah, ancestor yeah, yeah. did right. My story of the owl and the the top knot that I have, I wish I had I had it here with me because I could show it to you. Um, is a really beautiful barn owl, and um. I was actually living here in Santa Cruz and this was like in my twenties. I was taking a drawing class at Cabrillo and, um, I was up at Moon Rocks and I was up oh, there yeah, that's drawing. That's... Right. Yeah. And I was, it was like a large scale drawing. I was up there drawing and, and it was, was the project was a, a self portrait. Uh -huh. And, um, I was drawing myself at, with, uh, an owl mask on 
and it was in a city where like you know like the background of the city is like all chaos and destruction and it was it was sort of like the calling of of myself of the dissonance between like intersecting with the urban life and then also what that meant as like a spiritual death you know so that's what the drawing was about. That's and cool. I come around the corner and right there sitting on a rock right in front of me is a beautiful barn owl. And it was in the middle of the day and it was just sitting there and it, it turns and looks at me. And then we like lock eyes for for about like a few minutes, wow. you know, you know, probably like 10 seconds or 15 yeah. seconds, you know. And then it flew away and it was so beautiful. I was like, wow, that's so random. Like, how did I see this barn owl just chilling out here in the middle of the day when I'm drawing an owl? Yeah. And That's so, crazy. yeah, it was crazy. And like, it was like a really a pretty, like profound moment. And I've had a few of those where I was like, I've seen a bald, a bald eagle a couple of times, you know, out in the wild. And mm-hmm. like, that's really magical too. And, or animals that are just super sacred or super powerful. And, um, when I gathered the feathers, someone had given me a bunch of, um, barn owl and great horn owl feathers. And when I went to visit Sean, Sean said, let me see your feathers. And I like showed him my feathers and, and he was just like, like this happens to everybody. It's not enough. You know, it takes about, um, smaller feathers, like 70 to 80 feathers to create a top knot and, um, bigger feathers like turkey feathers. You can do it with less like 50 or 60, uh-huh. but it takes a lot of feathers. And, and for the top knot, we use just the wing and the tail. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of feathers on the bird that don't get used in the top knot. Wow. And so for about, we've estimated for, for one bird, you need about like maybe four to five birds to make one top knot. And so, well, I didn't have enough you know, of any one kind of feather. I had some red, red-tailed hawk, some barn owl, some um, great horned owl, uh, a few other type of, like, ravens. And then um, he just laid out his feathers and said, like, you know, choose what you want to yeah. use. And then we had a discussion, and I, like, shared that story with him. And then I just felt really called to the owl. And, um, and... I I did I did hear know about that like people saying oh yeah we don't use owl feathers right um, there are indigenous cultures that believe that the owl represents death and the barn owl specifically has a really loud uh, screech mm-hmm. and so that sound it is um, it kind of is scary in the middle of the night and so people think like oh it's a messenger of death that that the owl means death is coming right I'm not I I'm like in this place where I'm like trying to welcome the idea of death as part of the cycle of life and that we shouldn't fear death, right? Death is going to happen to all of us. And if we're lucky enough, we might live to be elders, but not everybody's going to make it that far. But death is a part of life and it's the cycle of renewal when, you know, new, new, new babies are born into the world, but none of us can escape death. And so I don't think it's something to be feared. Um, I think it's something to be honored and respected and to be known and to be understood. And, um, I, I don't, I didn't really like consider that in my belief with the mm-hmm. owl. And I also don't have any like specific beliefs from my tribal group that says don't use owl. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, I just felt called to use yeah. those feathers, you know, and then, and then learning more about the barn owl afterwards, um, barn owls mate for life. And, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, some birds mate for life. They mate for life. And the the male, when the mother is nesting, will go out and um, collect food and get food for the babies and the mother to feed all the whole the whole family until 
the babies are big enough to fly and leave the nest. Wow. And so to me, that really felt like a story of like calling the men back into community to be, you know, to be the people are to be the ones that are caring for the family and to be present for the family. I dig it. That's yeah. amazing. I didn't know that about, about owls. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. They're beautiful um, animals, too, yeah. you know? So. I didn't, I didn't, I always, I, my whole life, I just, like, walking afraid of owls, just, like, don't, if you hear one, don't look at it, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, like, when you're making a top knot, you, is, you can't have multiple bird feathers in one top knot? You can't. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, um, you know, sometimes, like, when we're thinking about tradition, like, when we're... We're only left with a little bit of evidence in some cases to determine what is traditional, mm -hmm. right? And and one of the things that um, I I know working in culture is that culture is constantly evolving and changing, right? We always changed as cultural people. Like our traditions were forever evolving, and um, that's what a living culture does, right? So it's not stagnant. It's just like we did it this one way, and now we can never do it any other uh, way. We can never yeah. change. You know, it's like that's that's not how culture works. And, um, you know, with, uh, with contemporary top knot makers, like they're making design choices. Like Sh Sean has some really beautiful examples where he's mixing different type of feathers or it's like Raven or with like, you know, it's, it's, um, accented with flicker feathers or, oh. you know, like really beautiful design choices. And, um, and you can mix feathers and you can, you can, you can have yeah. that. You have that right as a contemporary native person to make those decisions, you know? That's cool. Yeah. I never thought about it. I see some of his stuff and then um, the necklaces he made, the clamshell. Yeah. Like, he has a traditional way of doing it without, without like, a machine. Yeah. It's, like, that's crazy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning, I'm learning that from him, too. Like, the, so the regular projects that I'm working on, and I'm, I'm, my goal is to reskill in all of the traditional making for a full, the full riggings for, for a woman specifically, um, you know, for me, but to also to share those, those teachings with other people. So my work is really community driven. So I work with, um, mentor, Sean, Sean Patty is my mentor. Leah Mata Fergua is my mentor. She, um, she's a really renowned, um, realia maker. She's Chumash and also shell maker. I had um, her son on. Yeah. 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 And, uh, she's, uh, she, uh, who else am I working with? And Juliana is also, um, I work with Juliana as well. And then I have a, my hide teacher, my hide tanning teacher. He's not a native guy, but I actually, I looked for a long time for a native uh -huh. person. I'm like, who's, who's doing this in California native community? I couldn't find anybody. That's crazy. And then a friend of mine was like, I know this guy, like he's not native, but he's, he's, he's legit, yeah. you know? He's amazing. His name is Jay Sliwa, and he lives up in um, Bodega, and he's basically been living on the land, off grid, his entire life. And he's like, he's like the kind of he can he does it all. He has wow. like he lives in a um, uh, like a circle house. Yurt, not mm -hmm. a yurt, but it's uh, it's it's basically kind of like um, how to say it. This man built himself a roundhouse. Nice. Yeah, it's like it's a, yeah, it's like a, it's a roundhouse, and it, he logged all of the trees That's by sick. like just you know I think he might have used a chainsaw, but he didn't use any big equipment, and he brought it to the um, the site, built his house. He lives off of um, you know there's no electricity there. There's their groundwater fed surface water, and he has all the skills like. He can hunt everything. Wow. He grows his own food. He collects his own food straight up off the land. And wow. super knowledgeable, hands high tenor, and an amazing person with a heart of gold. Really, 
really um, just really legit and authentic and um, very knowledgeable. So he's he's been my high teacher for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. And how do you like doing the Hyde stuff? Is that... Yeah. Do you like do... Obviously, it's like hard to choose, but what, what would you like rather be doing? The Hyde or the Top Knots? Um, I like them both. You know, like working with feathers is really regal and the feathers are yeah. like, you know, they're amazing. But the... Um, the hides are really laborious for a, a person that's just starting. It takes mm-hmm. about three days, three solid days of work, eight hour days. And wow. you're like just working it hard. And um, he can do it in one day. He can do a, a, like a hide or two hides in one day, but that's impossible for people that are just he's like. He's just got the. Yeah. He's got <laughs> the technique, you know. And he's not a big guy either. He's like, he's kind of a small yeah. guy, you know. But like you have to be very physically fit to uh-huh. do it. And you have to be, um, you know, you have to be strong. And so it's something that just takes a lot of a lot of labor. But the re- the w- the reason why I love that process is because you really really start to understand when you're tanning a hide when you're putting so much work into it why it's so sacred and so special the material right like you really get intimate with the with the the skin of the animal and you know in an ideal world it's like you also are the the meat is nourishing you. And the skin is clothing you. Man. And you're intimately connected into what that means and how we live, um, you know, side by side yeah. with our animal cousins. And, like, it, it, after the process of three days of doing that, you just know you just know why it's sacred, you know? That must feel amazing. It's just, like, it's not something you can just go to the fabric store and buy that. Or you can't just yeah. order it on, you know, tandy leather or whatever. You're like, man, I spent three hard-ass days. I thought, I was like, I wanted to give up. You, you know? feel it. Yeah, you feel it all, your muscles, your back and everything. And then by the end, you're like, you see your hide and it just feels, you just feel so, so connected to it. And so gratified by the process and so respectful of the animal that gave its life up for that. And I think what's hard for me about it is that I, I don't, I, I'm mostly vegetarian. I'll, now in my life, I'll eat meat that's, um, that's wild hunted mm. or that someone raised themselves. And I have been present for, um, for the harvesting of an animal and help to, um, to process the animal and remove the skin. Um, but I don't eat a lot of meat and I also really sensitive around just the death of the animal. But I also, um, feel like, you know, making regalia is, is how we honor animals to live in their life after their death. So there's there's a process that feels like sad and a little bit. You know, we give song and ceremony to that animal in prayer and um, thank it for offering, um, you know, its feathers or its hide to us. And um, and then you then you're like intimately connected to that animal. You know. Yeah. So the feathers, I love working with feathers because they're beautiful. But the hide, really, the experience of tanning a hide is is just like life changing. Mm-hmm. Is it? I I I for me, it was life changing. I was just like, this is so important. Like I want people to know what this experience is like. You know. Yeah. And that's what why with my regular project, what I'm doing is like. It's not just about me making the stuff, yeah. you know, it's about me making opportunities to share it with community. And that's, that's really the goal is like, how can, how can I take the resources that I'm able to gather and then um, create opportunities for people to experience and learn this too? A hundred percent. What hides are you usually working with? The hides are um, deer hides and, um, you know, there's, there's the, I, I guess I'd, the species of deer should figure that out I don't, I don't know but they're you know they're native to california uh-huh. and um some i've worked with a tule elk before too okay. which are really big huge. um yeah huge i've also um 
did, worked with a sheep hide, which wow. I also really love. And I did that because um, I was just like, I really want to, I really yeah. want a sheep hide, you know. But like, I don't want to buy one from online. <laughs> and uh, in the communities that I that I work in, in the make in, like the the skills communities, you can buy them for uh -huh. someone, but they're like three or four hundred bucks, you know. Yeah. But after you tan one, you're like, oh, oh, I can't let this go for you know. If you're gonna sell it, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it's worth that. But I'm like, I just you know, I'll just do one, you uh -huh. know. So I'm I. Um, met a, a teacher who was willing to teach me and you know did a uh sheep hide and i freaking love it i take it everywhere i take it you know, like i sleep on it it's in my bed i camp in it you know like when i'm doing you know feather work or something outside i lay it down you know i it's like my pillow it's everything that's sick yeah, yeah. and you made that and i made that that's fucking yeah. awesome yeah and it's it's so dope and i always tell people oh you gotta sit on it you gotta try check it this out, out. Yeah. i made that <laughs> <laughs> i'd be proud of it too i'd be i'd be showing everybody for sure yeah yeah and there and the i'm also um partially tanned a bear hide oh yeah yo that's yeah. crazy and that one's not done yet and, and that one is like so my tribe um from yosemite um me welcome by you uh, yosemite we do bear dance. Mm -hmm. I think I think y'all do bear dance too, right? I'm not. Sure. I I was just gonna ask you about some bear dances, okay. but um, I don't. I don't think so. No. no, no okay. No. Okay. Um, that I saw it once, and that shit was like. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up with that ceremony. Really? Yeah. And that was, um, you know, it's like we do that four times a year in our roundhouse in Yosemite. We have a hide that the dancer uses, and that hide is, I don't know it's pretty old mm -hmm. you know and so i think my idea with this bear hide is that like i, I would tan it and then like give it to my tribe and it could be used that'd in be, ceremony that'd be really cool yeah i remember seeing like the little kid little kids doing it it was like they sound like real bears yeah it's fucking insane <laughs> they have to go through a pretty like an intense like i don't know what we would call it like well i, I mean i don't i don't know about what sort of cultural I don't, I don't know if training is the right word. Yeah, preparation. Like preparation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But because it's not something that in my tribal group that women or female identified people do. Yeah, Or yeah. have done or have been given the opportunity uh -huh. to do. Um, so I don't really know what that process that's, is that's like. That's kind of wild to me, to be honest. Because there are female bears. Yeah. That exist. Yeah. <laughs> so like. Yeah, we really live in this cultural gen gender binary that sometimes I think feels... It feels like it's um, limiting. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, like before, like this colonization, I, I believe it was like you're saying like two spirit and there's not really like a male and female. Like we, there was people that tapped into the feminine and masculine things because yeah. everyone had to like contribute. So yeah. it, it didn't, you know, so like in, in on reservations, it's like really like homophobia is like huge yeah and that's like crazy how like put into our heads it was you know yeah. um and just like forgotten about like the two-spirit people and all that type of stuff yeah so it's it's crazy to think about like yeah i mean i think i i i do think a lot of that was informed by christianity and by uh, colonization you know because two-spirit two people always existed within yeah. the community you know and and also to gender is not a binary it's not just feminine and masculine it's the whole spectrum of things and and each one of us represents you know like we're we're it's it's sort of a gradient and we're all on this different place and you know a gradient like 
Um, I've always felt like I identify strongly with my masculine side as much as I do with my feminine mm-hmm. side. And I don't, I don't identify as two spirit, but I align with, um, two spirit community. I work with two spirit community in, in San Francisco and in the Bay area. And I've always been a really big, um, just ally and an enabler for that community to grow and flourish. And because I really think it's important for two spirit people to exist within tribal communities and they're in, in, in my own struggles, you know, it's like, I was always the single girl of, of, I have uh, four brothers and now I have an adopted brother. So I have five brothers, like, you know, being told, oh, you can't do this because you're mm-hmm. a girl, you know, right. I never liked that and I never felt okay about it. But, um, you know, within tribal traditions and stuff, it's like, well, women do this and men do that. But well, what happens when you're, when you're somewhere else between, you know, not, not, you don't represent just one, mm-hmm. one, you know, sexual identity, then where do you go and where do you fit in? And, and I hundred percent know that in our tribal communities, there were place, there was a special place for those people. And so I think a lot of the homophobia was actually informed by, by Christianity. I believe so too. Yeah. And it's crazy that like something like cooking is like considered feminine, but like that's a, like everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs to like, that's a necessity for life. So, like, why is that, like, considered a feminine thing? Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and uh, different cultures, I mean, that's another thing, too, is, like, sometimes we get stuck in what our culture says is, like, this or that, right? Like, for example, weavers, mm-hmm. you know? Like, in certain cultures, people say, oh, weaving is a feminine thing or what women do. But in other cultures, it's only what men do. And so yeah, yeah. The, the act itself isn't doesn't have a sexual identity cooking or, or weaving or that's that's not, like it's feminine or masculine. Mm-hmm. It's what we assign it to within our cultural, yeah. you know, paradigm. And it, it's not an absolute. And I also think, you know, in, in dismantling the patriarchy too, like when we're asking um, for men to show up in our tribal communities and a lot of the, you know, like I, I, I love men and I've had, I have a great father and I've always had like um, a lot of masculine energy around me. But I've seen within tribal communities, like, a lot of men are absent. They're not being fathers to their children, or they're um, abusive to to their partners, or they've created harm and inflicted harm with, um, you know, females in, in their community. And we see it in the Me Too movement, right? Mm-hmm. And we see it in the absence of fathers within culture. And so, you know, <clears throat> we, like, just saying that, like, this role is feminine or masculine, I think, is... Um, is incorrect and also we need all all of it right we need all of the representations of the feminine all the representations of the masculine and in making regalia and working with um hides i've been told that you know that's that's what men do women don't do that and in other tribal groups only they only women do it that's crazy and so you know like all of these stories that we tell ourselves i think sometimes like under the guise of tradition are sometimes reinforcing traumas and also, like, um, alienating really valuable people within our community. And and I say that, like, you know, if for for me, you know, I looked for uh, um, somebody who was in the Native community who knew how to tan hides that was, I thought, would be a man. I never found this person. So I was like, well, if I want to make regalia, like, I got to do it myself, you know. Or if, if you want to learn baskets and your community says, oh, well, men can't weave baskets, but no nobody else is doing it. Who's going to carry it forward if you don't, you know? That's what I was talking to somebody the other day is because he's starting to sew his own clothes in, in fashion. And like he was talking about that, like, people kind of look at me crazy because I'm sewing. 
Like, why is that? Like, yeah. eventually down the road, you may have to sew a shirt or you may have to show up, sew a patch on for your work or your job. Yeah. Like, wh what if there's, like, and like you're saying, what if there's no one else that knows how to do it? Yeah. And he, like, that's exactly what he said is like, what if there's, there's no women in the situation to teach you and to pass it on? Who's going to pass it on to say you have a daughter or yeah. a son that you, you know? So it's like. It's, well, and in fashion, you know, there's, there's a lot of really famous men fashion designers. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. People, men, men, men exist in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of want to move on to the uh, next question we had is the movie that you're working yeah. on. So let's, uh, let's definitely talk about that. Um, Control the Fire, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the title of the movie, and I, sometimes I'm like, should I say it? What is the title? <laughs> I, don't, I know, and, I, and that's what I was like tripping. I was like, I don't know if we should talk about it because like I don't want like. I don't want yeah. to give away spoilers or yeah. I don't want to like, yeah. Yeah, well, in, you know, it's a working title and the way it works in film is you actually have to do, um, you have to do a title check. Mm -hmm. So like there might be, a, a, someone might have already taken the name uh, and then legally you can't use it. Yeah. Um, and I have this dream of like, okay, someone hasn't taken the name yet. I'm going to go out there and buy the title of the movie before I make the movie. So no one can take my title. <laughs> but that's silly. Um. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll just say it. the the title the working title since I actually don't have the title name yet is called uh, Fire as Medicine and um, it is a documentary um, about traditional indigenous practices of, um, of cultural burning within California to revitalize to revitalize culture and also to prevent catastrophic wildfire. So um, the reason why I wanted to tell this story is my my father is. Um, my father, Lewis Parker, is from Yosemite. He's a native firefighter, and he was a firefighter his whole life. And he did wow. wildland. He fought wildland fires in and around Yosemite. And then he also was a chemical fire at Lemoore Naval Air Force Base. Wow. And there was a lot of native people who were fire firefighters and fire keepers that came from Yosemite. And it was like, you know... Men, men of his age like went into that field and they were they were working on the land. I have uncles that were um, my uncle Frankie Dominguez, who also is from Yosemite. He was a smoke jumper in Alaska. I mean, he worked in Yosemite first, but then he, you know, and then other my other cousins and stuff, their parents and fathers, and our our tribal leader um, and spiritual leader was also a firefighter when they were younger. Wow. And so there was a lot of firefighters that came from Yosemite, native people, like legit native people. Right. And um, they came from a time where it was like there wasn't culture attached to fire. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, OK, Smokey the Bear, fire is bad. Let's put out the fire. Right. And they did do cultural. They did do control burns, too. Mm -hmm. They did a lot more control burns back then. And then now they're starting to do it again because California has seen that we have like all this land that we need to manage. And, you know, fire is one way that we traditionally manage the land and how Native people and Indigenous people tended the land. You know, we would do these burns to revitalize growth for basketry materials, oh. for willow, for um, sour berries, for elderberries. Um, and then also, to, it, it um, when you burn down the surface layer of the forest, it'll destroy, like, any pests that are there. So, like, when the acorns drop, you know, all the bugs don't go and eat them right away. You can still come by and collect them. And so it reduces pests and then it reduces the combustible fuels that are out there. So right now we haven't been doing that for many, many decades. And, and obviously, we know, uh -huh. you know, California is, you know, super fire prone and there's a bunch of wildland that's that's hard to tend. Right. But there's been a, a, um, a culture of fear around fire. Um, 
for at least the last like 30 or 40 years. Yeah. We've stopped those indigenous burn practices. And so this is related directly to culture, but also to, you know, to basically like caring for all of our wildlands. So that's where the, the main, the main inspiration came from my dad and like, you know, watching him be a firefighter, but also this new revitalization within indigenous people's groups to start cultural burning again. And I'm like, this is, this is very unique to California, to our tribal communities. And, um, you know, it's one way in which we can help tend the land. And right now this film, I've been to a few cultural burns organized by Ron, Ron Good in Mariposa, my hometown. Mm -hmm. And he is, um, He's Mono, and he does all these teachings about cultural burning. And so me and my videographer, Matthew Falcon, have gone and um, attended these and, you know, filmed a little bit. And we're like, hey, we want to make, like, we're going to make this into a film. And then um, I'm not a filmmaker, but I, I wasn't a filmmaker, but I am now. I now guess. you are. <laughs> now I am. And the project got funded by Vision Maker Media. So, um yeah, now I'm making a film. That's sick. That's really fun. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure you're having to deal with a lot of stress because that's definitely like a stressful thing to get all the, the film, to the crew together, all that stuff. Um, are you out doing controlled burns while you're filming and stuff like that? Yeah, so... Um... Most, mostly it hasn't been, you know, like a wildland control burn. It's been more of like we're clearing areas and then doing burn piles. I see. And then there's cultural teachings that are in, involved in that. So people who are talking about basketry materials and people who are talking about food sources. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go up to um, Orleans. It's um, outside of Hoopa and um, meet with um, the Karuk people up there who are um fire fire keepers up there and do cultural teaching with them and so what's what's really amazing is that you know being being a native filmmaker like and someone who grew up with my community and who is also connected to fire i'm able to like talk to these people and be like hey you know like i want to tell this story it's really important and people are like yeah we want you to tell this story mm -hmm. you know like Native people want other Native people to tell tell our stories. Yeah. And it's really important, I think, for our voice to be represented in these stories. And fire is fire is so sexy, you know, like lots of people want to film and they get approached by a lot of people. And, and some of them are like, you know, they come they come with like full production budgets and they can do like really fancy film. And that's amazing. It's going to be great, you know, but they're not going to have the cultural insight that that we have when we're when we're talking about our own culture or indigenous culture, you know, that connection. And um, so my hope is really to tell the indigenous stories around fire. That's awesome. Because um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, this is not like we were doing controlled burning on our res <laughs> and it got a little bit out of control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. You had to call the fire department? Yeah. Shit. And it was all over Facebook. They were, the Everyone was posting, who's burning down the res? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, that's awesome because we've done a controlled burning up there on the res, like, since I was a kid, I think. Um, but, yeah, and it's awesome to, to finally get it on the a TV screen and, like, get it to yeah. people. And, like, because it's all, everything is, like, people love documentaries. People love people eat this shit up right now yeah so it's like that's an it's an awesome time to really like and plus like you said with the fires like everyone's like really like wants to like end yeah. these fires so like yeah. they want to look for some type of like prevention to like 
for, for these fires to keep, yeah. keep going. And, so. and really the prevention is multifaceted, you know, like I don't, I don't, the story isn't going to be like, oh, we do cultural burns and it's going to save all of California. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's not really realistic, but I think, you know, and working, what I'm starting to learn about working in documentary and, um, and people that I've met who are native filmmakers and documentary is like, there, there's a real, um, it's really hard to tell a story that's not just like the trauma and the tragic tragedy, right? And um, when I wrote wrote this, um, they call it a treatment because mm-hmm. like I can't predict what you're gonna say if I interview you, right? Yeah, but yeah. like I can kind of make an outline of what I think I want, like think the story is gonna be by what I know about you, yeah. right? And um, what I know about the the whole scenario. And the story was never a tragedy of like like watch california burn uh-huh. but it was it was more of like you know the hearkening back to these traditional practices is a, one piece of how we can address this problem right and the you know there's it's multifaceted and and i don't want to be like doomsday but also too you know with global warming and stuff you know i probably will pass away before the worst of it comes but you know it, i don't know that we can like save the world in the direction that it's going but at the same time like how can we live our lives without trying yeah you know it would be have to like i mean we'd have to have like a drastic change and i really don't think yeah with capitalism being the biggest thing in our country i don't i don't see it happening you know yeah and you know i and i think that's also why people feel a romantic and us us to ourselves too like feel a romantic calling back to traditional practices because we we think that we lived in this way where it's like okay well things were more imbalanced right mm-hmm. and it's true we did and the reason why we did is because um you know we weren't in this hyper industrialized society that was like ba- basically now we're just taught to like um you know work work to the bone to consume and to buy and the rate of consumption the, the earth cannot keep up with our rate of consumption yeah. you know of, of natural resources of um you know, well, eventually, I mean, ultimately all of it that we're extracting is a natural resource, mm-hmm. right? And it's commodified in some way and someone is getting rich off of that. And we're fed these ideas, especially in America, that like participating in this capitalist system is what we are meant to do. This is the goal in life, right? Like how much can you, how much wealth can you acquire? How mm-hmm. much, you know, can you consume? We're, we're, we're taught it in every single way, like shop at the grocery store for more food than you actually need to eat, you know, like buy more clothes than you actually will ever wear in your life. You know, like your jeans are going to outlive you. And um, like, why do you need another pair unless your body changes like drastically, you know? And, um, but our, all of the whole meaning of the American life is is around consumption. And that, that is because that is feeding the capitalist system, which is feeding people, you know, mostly, you know, white people, power a few a small very small percentage of powerful white people to just get richer and we're extracting all the resources of the planet to do that and you know we're kind of in this cycle and i think like with indigenous belief indigenous life ways we we didn't do that you know and and we didn't live like that and i think it's it's sort of a fantasy to think we're going to get back there but i do think that we can do things within our life and live in a way in integrity and balance um, more so than what we're doing now, right? One hundred percent. And this, the capitalist system was definitely made up for Masons, white people, for the people that <laughs> don't know. Um, and that kind of moved me into that's perfect because that that moved me into my next question: is what does land back slash decolonize mean to you? Yeah. So you kind of already touched on decolonize, and we can get more into it too. But 
So let's start with Lambeth. So I, I, you know, it's hard being a California native, especially someone who, um, you know, there's some, there's some people that have a lot of resources. California native people have resources. They come from a tribe that, you know, they get, they get big per cap. They can buy new cars. They can get drunk and wreck those cars, buy a new car, buy a mansion, get, you know, you know, plastic surgery, buy whatever the heck you want, you know? And that's what people's like image of, natives yeah these and, california tribes that got money and not everyone got money and that's not the case for most people right and so california is is literally the mo one of the most desired land places in the entire world to be a homeowner or property owner here is is very is like unreachable for most people right and so we're stuck in a system of slavery where we have to just keep working these mundane jobs just to pay rent just to just barely exist right so the dream of being a landowner without having a lot of a lot of money is um, almost impossible. And also, land ownership is a colonial construct. Like we we didn't live like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't own the land. You you lived with the land. It wasn't, you can own the trees. You can own the water. You yeah. can own the soil. You know, this concept of land ownership is a colonial concept. But the place that we're in right now, in order to like survive, like we kind of got to get a piece, right? Mm -hmm. So I think land back is really important for tribal groups, even if it's just like you get a small little piece to be like, this is my land, you know, this is where I'm from. But I also think that land back can take many different forms. So it's like, how do you steward and take care of that land? You know, maybe you don't own it, but you, um, you know it intimately and you spend time on it and you know what plants grows there and you know where, you know, the cycle of the animals and you, um, you collect from there, you collect wild fruits from there, you collect basketry materials from there. Um, I think land back in an urban setting could also mean like farming and growing food for community. I think land back for, um, you know, in an urban community could mean like, you know, having a community space where people come and gather and where we share music and song and art and, you know, and create and create contemporary culture together. Yeah. Like land back can mean that too, you know. And land back for, in regards to to the film, the fire film is like, re-indigenizing the land with these cultural burn practices right and we didn't you know we haven't done that for a long time your, your tribe did it and i mm -hmm. think like there's that's not the case for every tribe or mm -hmm. every area and um you know that's that's great and also you know the land back can be in regards to the regalia project like i have to intimately be connected to the cycles of land like the animals and the plants that i use in regalia making um i have to you know, either connect with people who, who are interacting with animals all the time or have to do that myself. And so to me, that's also a form of land, of land back. Like I'm living with, in cycles with the natural elements uh, and creating from, from the gifts that they give me. That's so amazing to, yeah. Like I'm, I'm taking away so much from this conversation. Like it's, it's amazing because not a lot of people like, like do cool things like this, you know, and not a lot of people like, and like this conversation is really going to be like, I'm going to take away a lot from this. Um, yeah, this is wild. I'm trying to like process everything that like you're saying, like, cause this is crazy, you know, um, capitalistic lifestyle is like wild. And I love that you talk about, um, urban or native natives in urban settings too, because people tend to like forget that we exist in urban settings. Too. Yeah. And like it's it's kind of getting out there with urban native wear or era um, yeah. with their stuff being an REI, which is amazing. But um, 
Yeah, and even myself, because I, like, I grew up on the res, and like moving to Santa Cruz, there's not a lot of natives out here. No. So, and when I'm trying, when I'm hearing about the Amamutsun tribe and stuff like that, it's like, wow, like I've been here for 10 years and I like haven't run into anybody. Right. You know, so it's, so it's amazing to, to see stuff like just like popping up. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really happy that um, things are popping up. People are starting to do things like your movie. Things are start starting yeah. to do things like the, the other movie, Chishkale. So yeah. it's like, because people really need to be informed about this stuff. Yeah. And like, we really need to continue these traditions. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the, like I said before, you know, cult culture is a living, is a living thing, you know? So we as contemporary Native people, we as contemporary mixed Native people, like we have multifaceted identities that inform, you know, the art that we create, the poetry that we create, the, um, you know, the writings, the stories that we tell. And those are, that that is what will become tradition. Like, you know, our um, our future generations will look back at us and be like, this is, those were my ancestors. These are the traditions that they taught me. <laughs> makes me feel a little bit um sensitive but you know like just like we look back at our ancestors they're gonna be looking back at us and so for us to move forward and create art and create culture is us living our indigenous identities you yeah. know and it's important and and or we can't you know some of us are born into urban environments or we we intersect or interact in inter urban environments and the beauty about an urban environment is like you know, there's like, it's a, it's, uh, like just a whole creative energies of people coming together and collaborating together, making contemporary music together, making contemporary art. Like the Shiskale movie was, you know, based on a dance piece, um, from Bernadette Smith, but yeah. also a collaborative of a, of a bunch of, um, indigenous people performed on Alcatraz Island, um, for, um, sunrise ceremony, indigenous people sunrise ceremony in 2018. And we collaborated with a bunch of Native people from all through the Bay Area. And it became what it was because everyone put a little piece of themselves into it, right? And, you know, we, we don't exist in a vacuum. And creativity isn't just, um, you know, like some artists work as solo people. Uh -huh. But, like, your, your poetry that you write is informed by every lived experience that you have, you know. And you don't live and walk this world by yourself yeah. and so it's a reflection of, of everything that you see and every experience you have around you you know and um so is a contemporary dance piece you know like that idea comes from um traditional stories that Bernadette wanted to tell about making about the acorn and saving the town of acorn in point arena but um she's telling it as a contemporary dance piece it's not it's not a traditional dance that's happening in a roundhouse mm -hmm. right that's amazing. Yeah, and so that's that's a contemporary art form of her indigenous identity, and that's just as legitimate as something that's traditional. Yeah, that's amazing. It's 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 her creativity just opening up, and that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and I get emotional every time I every time I I'm listening to that song that you were talking about earlier. I get emotional every time I listen to it, and I'm writing to work, and I think about just like like you said, the future. Yeah, and and, and it's the shit that like. The shit that kids are going to see that's coming out that the people are creating right now is going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to fucking blow people away. Yeah. And you're part of that, you know, <laughs> like it's, I mean, I'm, lo I'm glad that you love that song because um, I'm, I'm not a musician, but that, that project from that project, all of the music was original um, made music. And some of the music was made by, uh, well, produced by Ross Kitty and also Esme Olivia, who is, she's from Albuquerque and 
um, she worked with Bernadette to produce the song with Sinchishkale, and I think Ross uh, produced the song with Clarence. And, um, you know, what they did with with language, um, so Clarence is a, as a language speaker, a language keeper, and Bernadette, you know, like she knows some some of the language, but they researched Pomo language and then found archives and basically like created a contemporary song using traditional phrases from, um, I think, uh, Essie Parrish was, was one of the people in the track. And um, they, with the contemporary mixing of music, were able to just like, for example, write like a four line poem and then create a rhythm out of it and then layer it into tracks with contemporary music and, you know, people playing guitar or doing a melody or uh -huh. a harmony. And then it became that song. And so that really inspired me. Like, I want, I want to learn language and song is such an amazing way to learn language, right? And to keep language. So like you said, you listen to that all the time, yeah. right? And it gives you it in, in that is such a like song has an incredible ability to be able to hold language for eternity. So from that project, I got really inspired to want to create my own songs. And like I said, I'm not a musician or a singer, but I want to do a project that is for people who are not musicians and not in not traditional language speakers. So yeah. you, we would go and do a little bit of work to, you know, write a four line poem or a phrase in our traditional language after we learned it and then create a, a melody with it and then work with musicians and producers like Ross and like Esme to create a song that's our song. So like I can go into a tribal community and be like, I, you can, you can make a song, let's do it. And then you'll, and then you see how it's layered together on a track and you're like, damn, that's my song. That's me. That's, that's me singing that phrase in my traditional language. That's so you know? awesome. And yeah. it's awesome for people to be able to, to hear that too. Yeah. And you don't have to be, you don't have to like know, you know, like, fluently speak your language mm -hmm. and you don't have to like you know know how to make music like we work together and I think that's the beauty of doing community projects is like you work together to create something bigger than yourself you know yeah and that's the amazing thing about creating like getting together and like being creative together yeah. like it like it's amazing yeah. like doing creative stuff is is amazing like I just want to be I just want to to do a lot all the creative stuff yeah and you know <laughs> the, the, the amazing thing about being a human is like you know, there's no limit really in, in, in one lifetime, we can never do it all and learn it all. And like, you know, it's kind of like, there's no time to waste. Yeah. And, you know, I love that, that, um, you as a young person are like really just going for it. And, you know, that that's part of the resilience and, and need of it. And an indigenous person in contemporary times, like we have to do this. We have to intentionally do this every day because, the mainstream world will suck us up into just, you know, the white colonial capitalism that it wants us to like assimilate to. Right. Yeah. And it's it, unless you take an active role in in rebuilding culture and making your unique voice heard that that will never be known to anyone else. That would never be heard unless you choose to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like what's amazing about this time in the world is that. I feel like there's a really beautiful renaissance within Native community where, where we're all coming together and sharing the knowledge with each other and inspiring each other and rebuilding culture together. And it's it's a pretty freaking amazing time to be alive and be an Indigenous person. It's pretty dope to scroll like Instagram and TikTok and just seeing other Native creators out there just doing yeah. their thing. Yeah. Like literally, like, it's amazing. Like. I just connected with random people on TikTok just to interview them and connect. And they're they're in Seattle, Washington. They're in New Mexico. So it's like, 
we're all coming together and like you said, just doing it. Yeah. Like we're making it fucking happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think that was all of the questions I had for you, unless there's any other topics that you wanted to bring up. Oh, I could talk forever, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that was the, the, the entirety of the questions I had. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everyone that watched or is going to watch. Um, cause I usually do this live, but we switched it up. Um, but yeah, thank you guys out there for joining Burn the Wagon, where we're here to burn the wagon as capitalism, patriarchy, and above all else, colonialism. So thank you again, yeah. Tashina, for uh, joining me today, and peace out. Yeah, yeah, And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, or email us at burnthewagon1492 at gmail.com.